With the Santos watch, the first modern wristwatch was born by the hands of Louis Cartier. In 1904, he fulfilled the wish of aviator Alberto Santos Dumont to be able to read at the time on his pocket watch mid-flight without letting go of the controls. Santos became part of a legacy of creativity, innovation and timeless elegance in watchmaking with his visible screws and precise proportions. It continues to be a pioneer. Shop Santos de Cartier at Cartier.com. Hey, it's me, James Stacey, and this episode of Hodinkee Radio is all about volume 10 of Hodinkee Magazine. Seeing as we've now made it to double digits, I thought it'd be fun to chat a bit about this latest and most special of issues. As such, I've invited Nick Marino, Hodinkee's SVP of content, and Mike Renault, the founder and co-CEO of Varier, the firm that helped form the design of this issue, to jump on a mic and chat about a very special cover, a rare tutor we're offering up for sale in support of the HSNY, and why we still bother to do a magazine at all. If you like fun engravings, thoughtful design, and the romance of print, this episode is for you. All right, Mike, Nick, welcome to the show. Nick, obviously you're uh, returning, a frequent guest at this point, but uh, Mike, it's a pleasure to have you on and I'm excited to talk uh, Volume 10. Thanks, James. Great to be here. All right. So we've got, like I said, Volume 10 of the magazine. That's kind of the point of this one. We're going to chat through some of some of the things we brought uh, forward and, and that uh, you guys kind of brought into this world in, in terms of the cover of the magazine and a few other things. Uh, Nick, do you want to give uh, give folks kind of a rundown of what, what Volume 10 is and, and you know what it kind of encapsulates for Hodinkee? Yeah, it's our it's our tenth issue, and um, as a man who spent almost twenty years in the magazine industry, um, I know that continuing to publish one in this day and age uh, at all is sort of a miracle, and to, to to have made it to ten feels like a real achievement. So we wanted to sort of give ourselves that pat on the back, but really look forward. The way I sort of try to orchestrate Hodinkee's coverage in print and in digital is to constantly be thinking about what's now and what's next and not get too mired in nostalgia. Like nostalgia has its place, but <laughs> I'm really about what's exciting now and where we're headed. And this issue that Mike designed, um, I think really points us forward in a, in a really exciting direction. Yep. I would agree. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that it's been 10. You know, I, I remember buying before I worked for Hodinkee, I bought the first one and I was crazy excited for it. I got the black cover, the limited edition black cover and uh, and I just kind of poured over it, but much like you would a book more than a magazine. I know everyone says that about their their nice, expensive to print magazine, but like it did kind of hit me that way. Versus, you know, I've I've been a, a car car guy since I was a kid, so I'm used to the stuff that kind of feels like it costs two dollars in your hands, and and you read it. Maybe you read it a couple times. Maybe you clip out your favorite one or a great photo, and and you move on. This is sort of a different thing. This is sort of the modern take on a magazine, is it has to offer something different and special. And really, I think that starts with the cover. And, and I would love to talk about what goes on with the cover because my guess is at least some of the folks listening to this think it's a Photoshop. So the, the watch on the cover is a Tudor Black Bay 58. We had a few of these made, especially for Hodinkee friends and family. And on the dial, it's sort of double signed uh, Tudor and Hodinkee, which is super cool. These have never been made publicly available. And the one that we have on the cover of this magazine, the actual engraved piece that we photographed is, is one of one. It's got the Hodinkee stamp on the on the dial and the engraving on the back. And we're going to sell it this fall with proceeds going to uh, 
an HSNY scholarship for underrepresented watchmakers, which I think is really cool. And maybe Mike should should talk about the design itself because a ton of thought and care was put into what what seems kind of abstracted, but actually is super intentional. At first glance, it might look a little bit esoteric, but it's meant to be sort of a timeless uh, set of icons um, that can kind of exist to commemorate this issue, but also just be really handsome in and of itself. Uh, it's anchored by one Roman numeral X in the middle um, that provides four quadrants uh, around the case back. And on the right side is 10 lines that sort of denote a publication that looks like uh, a book opening. Uh, and those are 10 pages for the issue. Uh, at the bottom is the Hedinki wordmark in reverse, which is a mirror image of the wordmark uh, on the dial itself. And when you look at it, it's backwards, but the O and the I are sort of raised up, which creates a 10 for the number 10. On the left side are 10 circles, um, just to commemorate the 10 issues. And up top is the H uh, icon from Hedinki uh, with two lines in between uh, and doubled to create uh, hatch marks for the number 10. All right, Mike. So it's, it seems like obviously 10, 10 is the is the big thing here. We've got several sort of hieroglyphs or, or references to 10. How did you get to this point with the design? Was this something you kind of came kind of naturally or is there like 35 Photoshop files that that were kind of testing out different concepts on on Photoshop case backs, as, which is what I would do? <laughs> yeah, there, there are definitely plenty of files that uh, didn't make the final cut. A lot of back and forth, a lot of... Um, compartmentalizing certain ideas into one one direction and tr trying to be really literal in, in one sense. And then some of them are way more esoteric than these in, in other ways. So wanted to find a nice balance uh, that was pretty straightforward as, as a marker of this, but at the same time, didn't feel like an advertisement on the back of your watch. Right. And now for this one specifically for the watch, which came first, the idea to have the engraving as the cover or to engrave a watch and then do the charity thing for HSNY? So we had a number of ideas uh, that we knew we wanted to execute in some way for the magazine. One was that we wanted to make a watch cake. And so we ended up making a cake shaped like a Cartier tank. <laughs> and we use that in the, in the magazine. It's sort of the first page of the magazine and the last page of the magazine. First page, the cake is intact. Last page, we've eaten it. And that's how we sort of bookend the magazine with clock in and clock out. But we decided that for the, the cover, we wanted something that felt a little more permanent. And a cake, a little kind of monumental. And so to have this one just really stark, detailed case back on the cover in a way that you kind of had to, you had to look at it to understand it. It's not an immediate read. We actually liked that it wasn't an immediate read. The cake would be an immediate read. But we thought, what can we do that actually makes people pause and look at this and consider it? And that's how we knew it was going to be the cover. Yeah, it's a bit of a lure that way. You see something kind of shiny or, or different and you go, wait, I know that case shape because it is pretty distinctive if, if you own a Tudor or even if you own something from the, the greater family of, you know, the, the wider Rolex brand, you can kind of almost see that from across the, the street or across the, the sidewalk at, at, in front of a display and see that kind of distinctive case back and then see this uh, it really kind of very clear and crisp engraving, but it has a bunch of detail to it that I think does kind of draw people in. It did, it did for me the first time I saw the image. So the, the issue has a, a number of these little gestures toward 10. Like, for instance, we, um, we, we had this great story that you worked on, James, um, the Hamilton piece. Can, can you sort of explain what you did for that? I think that's one of my favorite stories 
that I've worked on in the time I've been here. Yeah, it was actually really fun to work on because I got to meet a bunch of incredible photographers uh, kind of by, by nature of creating the story. But we had this kind of harebrained idea. And that's one of the things that a magazine helps with is sometimes it does ideas where you go like, well, why would we do this? And you go, well, because we have a magazine, we, do, we get to do something like this. And we got 10 of the uh, white dial Hamilton khaki field mechanicals on the, the tan NATO. And we sent them to 10 different photographers. And, uh, and had them each kind of take a photo with essentially no oversight. Do whatever you want. Let's see what you do. And there's not one photo that's similar to another. I can guarantee you that. You're not ready. You'll, you'll start from the first one and, and start flipping. And it's almost hard to describe how varied they are. Uh, but we have photographers from all over the world, from all different walks of life, uh, from different time zones, different hemispheres, different uh, seasons when they shot it. Um, and uh, I think it came together to be something pretty interesting that not only speaks to the almost elemental design of, of the, the sort of field watch uh, encapsulated in the, in the Hamilton, but also the, just the fact that watch photography or, or product photography or anything like that has this huge variance to the way that anyone could possibly see it or express it. And as soon as you remove the watch nerd element, you really open the floodgates in terms of creativity. Yeah. And as, you know, as the magazine making kind of nerd, orchestrating all of this that variance of course is supposed to be a metaphor for like all the different ways that you can look at a watch and all the ways different ways that you can think about a watch which is what we're trying to do with the magazine as a whole i don't expect anybody to sort of make that link it's 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 more just sort of gesturally what we try to do is constantly show watches in ways that you haven't seen them before um so that piece that you did that the 10 hamiltons is one sort of commemorative move we made. The other is, um, I mentioned, we we're trying to look toward the future. So we, we, we considered for about five seconds doing like a look back at our greatest hits and instantly rejected that idea in favor of this feature called Ones to Watch, which is uh, profiles, many, many profiles of 10 people who are pushing watch culture forward. And that felt a lot more in the spirit of, of what we're trying to do here. And, and Mike commissioned these gorgeous illustrations. Yeah, they turned out really well. And that's something like you would never commission 10 illustrations for the website. You'd only do that for a print publication. And that's, that's the other thing we really tried to do. Okay, so commemorative 10th issue, like got that. And then make print feel printy. Make it feel like a magazine. Make it feel worth your money. Like it's, it is in fact a distinct experience from the website mm -hmm. with its own intent, I would say. Right. And, and I think that's a lot, that's a lot of like any, anything that kind of falls outside the normal route that you might take, even as a, the way that you interface with the world, let alone the way that a piece of the world might interface back with you is so tied to intent. And if there's intent behind something and some thoughtful element, then I think it, it sells itself a lot better than just we packaged up, you know, 35 or however many stories that, that could have been digital ones uh, and, and put them in print and, and now we're going to charge them for you. And I think this has a little bit more intent and the value is a little bit more clear uh, to people who, who are kind of in, in, that, in that vibe. That's right. James, intent, intention's like such a good word to kind of use for the through line for everything that's, that's done in this. One criticism you might see sometimes with photography in the magazine is that the watch isn't clear enough or it's not big enough. And you know, for starters, I'd say there's plenty of really wonderfully detailed watch photography in the magazine itself. But uh, one thing we really want to highlight is uh, this isn't a catalog. This goes deeper than that. It's about storytelling. It's about why we love watches. 
the stories that come with them, the memories that we have, the reasons that, that go into why we make them, why we wear them. And so uh, offering illustrations and offering photography that feels like uh, something that you can experience more than covet is an important um, thing for, for us to highlight when we do these. Yeah, th there's this great feature called Moment in the Sun where we took a, a handful of real sort of California outdoorsmen, outdoorswomen, hikers, bikers, surfers, climbers, you name it, out for a day and just sort of shot them in the wild. And some photos have watches in them and some photos don't. And I think everyone who picks this up knows it's a watch magazine. Like you're going to get the watches, but the, the opening image that Mike chose for that is just a beautiful photo of a woman in amazing light holding a surfboard, sort of looking into the middle distance and there's no watch in sight. And I, I, I love the confidence in that design choice, Mike. The watches will come. Like, and it, you're sort of just inviting people into this world with her. And, and then you get the watch. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's cool to have these profiles of people whose lives aren't necessarily just watches, but that watches interface with kind of a little bit more normal than a watchmaker, which is kind of an esoteric thing to explain to someone who has never made a watch or like maybe even loves watches, but isn't necessarily keyed in on, on watchmaking itself. So it gives this sort of footing and, and, and kind of the, I think the magazine does a good job and, and maybe even in some ways a better job than digital in painting the, the scope of what watch appreciation is. And that it, it, it can be more than just um, a, a fantastic profile on an incredible young watchmaker and, and paying attention to that. It can also be in, in where these products go after they leave a shelf that maybe the brands kind of have nothing to do with at all. Well, and the, that's a, it's a perfect transition into Cole's PVD feature, which, you know, some brands are down with PVD, uh, aftermarket PVD, some brands are not. But we really wanted to sort of take PVD seriously for a moment and say, you know, all right, this is a controversial thing to do. If you're going to do it, how do you do it right? What do you need to know? What are the steps? And, and so Mike, Mike created this beautiful layout and it's sort of walking you step by step through the process of, of how to do this and what it's going to cost and what should you watch out for. That's another one that I, I don't know. My, I don't think that would really translate to the web. It would be difficult for it to translate to the web. And this was, this was laid out specifically by the design lead, Tom Etherington, who did an amazing job in this issue. And it's, it's also a nice moment for uh, the tone to sort of shift. As, as Nick said, PBD can be somewhat controversial. So we decided to have it sort of be more of a white on black layout and provide an opportunity for the magazine to sort of feel uh, like there was a little bit of a narrative as, as you page through the entire issue. It, it's interesting because conceivably, I mean, there's there's lots of sites that that play with this and use special layouts for their digital. So stories kind of flow or overlap or integrate with with sort of scrolling motions and such. But really, you're, you can go north, south, east, west on a magazine page. You just have to be able to tell people which direction to go. And it doesn't necessarily work that way for a narrative story when you're on a, a screen, especially when you have to account for all the screens, right? Like yeah. we're running into this now and that so much of our photography for 14 years has been landscape. And then a, a huge portion of the audience reads everything on their phone and you want to be like, well, do I shoot two versions of every image? And the answer probably is yes. It's, you know, you double down and you make sure there's an option for every view. But imagine if you were able to lock that view like you can with paper can make a lot of sense, right? Everybody reads magazines differently too. I, I think people focus a lot on print being pretty rigid, but I don't know. When you get served an article on your phone, you're pretty much locked into the scroll 
and how you want to do it. But I read magazines from the back, or if I want to, you know, if I have five minutes, I know exactly where to kind of thumb to, to kind of spend five minutes versus, all right, I made myself a Manhattan. I'm going to sit on the couch and spend a half an hour reading a, a, a couple of great stories. Um, and it's a little bit easier to kind of find yourself lost in that, uh, in, in something like a print publication. We, we do a couple of things for exactly that reason in this issue. Um, one is that the paper stock changes from the, the different sections. So, so we know some people read from the back. And so we've, we've sort of set off the back of the book as the second opinion section, which is what we call essays, arguments, and fearless rankings. And what you'll notice is that that section is an uncoded paper stock. And the section before it, the feature will, is a coded paper stock. It's a little bit glossier, which makes the images in the feature section just that much richer. And then the front of the book is another uncoded paper stock. So it goes uncoded, coded, uncoded. And it's subtle, but if you're, if you're really holding it in your hands, it's like your fingertips tell you where you are in the magazine. I love that move. The cover also has a nice soft touch finish on the coding. So attention to detail is really kind of met at every turn. Uh, I'm not sure I would notice that if I'm honest. Like may- maybe flipping through it the third time, I would go like, hey, is that intentional? And you go like, I guess all of it's intentional. And, and it's cool that 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 level of planning kind of went into it. But I, I would love to zoom out a little bit because, you know, Hodinkee is a digital publication. But everyone that publishes about watches online has learned a ton in the last decade about what it is to do that in an online sense and what it means to visuals and what it means to execution and timing and the audience and comments and the rest of it. Why take what could arguably seen as your best foot in, for some of these stories and put it into a print magazine versus uh, some sort of premier presentation on, on the digital side? I mean, to me, it's the same reason that you would wear a mechanical watch rather than looking at the time on your iPhone. It is a different experience to engage with something analog. Not necessarily better or worse, but different and each has its own place in the world. Plenty of people have both the Apple Watch and the mechanical, but I think there's there's a reason for both to exist. I think it nicely showcases Hedinki's commitment to craft and appreciation. It's, it's a publication that's made for the collector in some ways, the attention to detail. I mean, you mentioned it, James, there's a lot of nuance and sort of under the hood stuff, but it's, and it's not about each one of those choices. It's about the collection of those choices that creates something that just in the end feels really special and, and wonderful. And it's something you want to hold on to and something you want to collect. And at the end of the day, it, it shows Hedinki's commitment to that, that type of thing. You know, a watch, so many decisions go into making something beautiful. Um, and we make the same choices with paper, typography, or grid system, every little detail. So when the finished product is done, it, it really does feel like something special. And with all of that said, something like this exists for uh, bringing in new audiences too. It's it's the way to kind of, it's it's if, if you're not a watch collector, but you're interested in it, you might run across, across a web story here and there that you don't really engage with. But if you see something like this and you have a chance to thumb through it, there's actually a way that you can pretty quickly fall deeply in love with um, this entire culture, uh, just by the format itself. Okay, it's time for our ad break. And here is a special message from this week's show sponsor, Cartier. With the Santos watch, the first modern wristwatch was born by the hands of Louis Cartier. In 1904, he fulfilled the wish of aviator Alberto Santos Dumont to be able to read at the time on his pocket watch mid-flight without letting go of the controls. Santos became part of a legacy of creativity, 
innovation and timeless elegance in watchmaking with its visible screws and precise proportions. It continues to be a pioneer. Shop Santos de Cartier at Cartier.com. Which is, I think, why it makes sense to the Hodinki audience, or at least a, a slice therein that is already kind of keyed into wanting to have it in their hands to wanting to take it somewhere where they don't maybe have screens or power or, or even just a side of their house where they're getting away from the things that are constantly buzzing at them. Yeah, it's, it's the same reason that you might collect vinyl, yeah. right? I mean, none of this stuff is practical or rational. And to me, that's what makes it beautiful. It's the irrationality of it. It's the impracticality. of it. it's the fact that you have to get up and walk across the room and flip the record over or wind the watch. There's a sense of, of, of romance in it. And um, we keep coming back to intentionality. That's why you make yeah. a magazine. You know, it, it's, those, it's not because it's the most modern way to tell a story. It's, it's a deliberately unmodern in the way that watches yeah, are. It's laborious and expensive and kind of intense in terms of its timeline. And it has, unlike digital, it's done. It's in stone. You print it, it's printed. That's right. And where the interesting tension is, is you take this old fashioned analog format and then you write about the most exciting new elements of watches in it. That, that's that, that high low, that old new, that, that's the tension that really makes the magazine work. The other thing I wanted to touch on was a little note that you had made in your kind of letter from the editor about the magazine introducing this volume. You'd said that magazines are kind of a, a journey of serendipity, an object of serendipity. And, and I kind of like that because I think that's what I always liked about and still continue to like about the magazines that I buy in that I might know the topic or even one of the stories or two of the stories, you know, some magazines will cover their cover page with, with little tidbits of what, what it's about. But then you get into it and you just kind of go from one page to another and you end up on sort of a journey. And in my mind, it's a little bit like the difference between taking a direct flight to a city or a road trip where you've got to stop every, every little while and try a different restaurant and, and, and find the right gas station and, and find a snack you've never had before, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it is all about the journey. And, and to me, that idea, I got a magazine in the mail yesterday and to open the mailbox and have it, just have it there, that's a surprise. And then you open it up and you don't know what's in it. That's a surprise. And there are going to be some pieces that aren't, for you, that's if every single story were sort of algorithmically driven exactly for every reader, then it wouldn't be a magazine anymore. So part of what I love about it is that exchange between the editors and the designers and the reader and that trust that we don't know where this is going to go. And it might go some places that we had never thought to go together. And that, that willingness to be surprised, that, I mean, that to me is what it's all about. Yeah, we're so used to uh, labels for things. And over the last 15, 20 years, defining why print's important, what is it a publication? Is it a journal? Is it a book? Is it a magazine? We're, our brains are still sort of programmed to define those things based on potentially what we knew better in the 80s or 90s or early aughts. And again, this is not a magazine. A magazine, you might buy at Walgreens, you know, and, and it, it might have the latest watches out. You, it, you might think of it like a catalog and the advertisements might be a little more utility driven, but there's no need for that. That's why you have the website. Um, but we spend so much of our lives sitting on computers these days. Everyone still needs to make time for experiences outside of their screens, outside of trying to just jam their heads full of relevant uh, new information. And this is an opportunity to get away from that and have an experience with, with what you love beyond uh, the churn of, of the algorithm. It's funny, James. We, we've debated whether to even keep calling it. A magazine in our in our more high-minded <laughs> moments we refer to it as a, a 
biannual premium print sure. journal, yeah. um, <laughs> a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, it, it, it to me, it's the, the name is almost immaterial. Um, what matters is it's a thing that you can throw in your tote bag, take on summer vacation, read and come back to leave on the coffee table. Someone else discovers it. Um, you know, the, the, the name is just semantics. It sounds ironic, but this is, I think, all going to make way much more sense to us in 20 years when we look back on it. And isn't that what collecting is all about? Really? Yeah, no. And, and you know, and, and because I'm, I'm maybe at my heart, a pretty simple guy, I like that it works in bright sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right, guys. Look, thanks so much for coming on, talking about the magazine, letting me kind of play devil's advocate for why we're still doing print when in, in my estimation and hubris, we do digital pretty well, too. I think it's an exciting magazine. I think the cover is really rad. And I can't wait to see what the, the watch goes for at Charity. Thanks, James. Appreciate that. Thanks, James. Glad to be here. So that's Magazine 10. And you know what I always say. If you're enjoying the episode, please just send it to a friend. Send them a link. Let them hear it. And let us know in the comments what you think. And if there's a topic you might want to hear on a future episode. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll chat to you in about a week's time.